Well, a couple weeks ago, we left off chapter 6, and we're going to spend a minute, once I get there, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18, the last portion of that chapter, we, we saw how we need to separate from worldly influences so that we can live a close life with God. And we saw in verse 17 of the last chapter, I came out from among them to come out from among them and to be separate. And then in chapter 7, what, what, where am I? What day is this? I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> so 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, another promise that we're given is that the Father will be with us, that we call out from among them, and that He will be with us. The, the important part about verses 17 and 18 are these are promises that God has given us. And this is important because as we jump into chapter 7, He's going to be speaking to these promises. He's going to be talking about repentance. He's going to be talking about changing directions, how we're to separate ourselves from the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we're going to talk about how we do that. We're going to talk about how He equips us to do that. And one other thing that I want to remind us before we jump into chapter 7 is we talked about this, I know it was a couple weeks ago, about do we do it or does God do it? And the answer is yes. Remember, it's both those things at the same time. Now, let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into chapter 7, verse 1. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We pray that you would speak to us this morning. We pray that we would be growing in you and used by you. And we pray that we would apply these things that you spoke to the Corinthians to our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read verse 1 together. Of course, it doesn't want to work again. Ah, there we go. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So therefore, these promises, that's why we had to build that background. Those are the promises that were given and we're to walk in them. And then we see this thing that is different and it says, cleanse ourselves. So the question then is, how do we cleanse ourselves? If you can go to the next verse, it's locking up again. So when we cleanse ourselves, is it God doing it or is us? Well, we know for salvation that God does 100% of the work. Jesus does all the work of salvation. It comes from Him. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible tells in Romans, No man seeks after God. No, not one. So we have to be born again. He has to completely, radically transform us, and He did that on the work of the cross. It is finished. But then, after we receive Christ's righteousness, we are then to be sanctified. That means every day we're doing the work of a Christian. We are cleansing ourselves. We're making these actions. We're doing things. The, the word repentance is a noun, person, place, or thing. But we should think of it as a verb, as an action. We need to be doing these things. We need to be repenting. We need to be cleansing ourselves, and that requires us to do something. Now, Wiersbe, he writes this in his commentary. He says, too often Christians deal with symptoms and not causes. We keep confessing the same sins because we have not gotten to the root of the trouble and cleansed ourselves. So, for example, 
one way to cleanse yourself to not, not get dirty. What's he talking about? He's talking about the works of the flesh. He's talking about sinfulness. We are to make no provision for the flesh. And we got you know, a lot of people that are in or have been in the military here. Who would go into battle with no plan, no weapons? Who would go walk into a minefield? Well, we'll just wing it, see what happens. See, the Bible tells us as Christians that when we go into the world, we're to make no provision, know where you're going, know where you need to stay away from. If you have a problem with alcohol, do not evangelize in a bar. You need to stay away from the 14 aisles of alcohol in the grocery store. Now, I get it. Maybe it's the shortest path to the $30 carton of eggs. (laughs) But you need to go around. Why? Because you're going to make no provision for the flesh. That's what the Bible says in Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. That's an action. That's a decision that you have to make because we may think as Christians, well, I just lay on the couch and the Lord just changes me and I'll just wait till he moves me. No, we have to make choices. We have to do those things. Now, how do we do that? We put on Jesus. That's what it says in Romans. If we're to cleanse ourselves, we're cleansed by the word of God, we're cleansed by the Lord. He's to be working in us and directing us. Now, some of us, maybe we have been walking this Christian walk and we have not been cleansing ourselves. We haven't been changing. We've been defeated. And you're constantly repenting of the same sins over and over and over again with no victory, no change. And you're like, Lord, when are you going to do something? Well, you need to make the change. Remember, who does it, you or God? Yes. Now, There's other people in here that maybe you're not in that boat. Maybe you're in a different camp, different boat. Maybe you're very religious. You're coming to church. You're doing religious things. You're very prideful in it. But the Bible tells us that our intentions of our heart, the motives of our heart are just as important. Are you putting on Christ? Are you drawing closer to Him? I'll give you an example with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is... um, In Matthew chapter 3, verse 5, he's confronted by the Pharisees and Sadducees. And it says, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? This is the key verse here in verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I wanted you to see John the Baptist telling the Pharisees and the Sadducees, guys that were very religious, they're memorizing Scripture, they're in the synagogues, they're in the temple. And he's telling them, you need to do works worthy of repentance. Well, aren't they doing stuff? Well, and we need to cleanse ourselves here, verse 1. There's an action we need to do, but we need to do it by putting on the Lord Jesus, our personal relationship with God, with Christ. We're going to apply these things as we continue through this chapter. 
But before we do that, let's read verses 2 through 4 together. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. It is so good that we read the Bible from verse to verse, chapter to chapter, Genesis to Revelation. Because if we read this section out of context with this chapter, we'll be like, man, he really likes those Corinthians. He really cares about them. Well, But we've been learning through this book that he's been betrayed by them. He's been stabbed in the back by them. He's been contradicted by them. We're going to read a little bit later in this chapter about the tough letters that he shared with them in the past. And yet, in the midst of this, he shows his open heart for them. He's completely open to them. They're struggling together. And yet, in the midst of that, he says, I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all tribulation. How can you even do that? How is that possible? Well, because he's putting on Christ. Remember Romans chapter 5? He's walking with the Lord. The Lord is his comfort. We're going to talk about this a little bit more, but let's get to verses 5 through 7 first. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, insides were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Now, Paul is boasting in the Corinthians. I find that really cool. But we talked about some misconceptions. Let's talk about a couple more. You know, Before I became a Christian, I thought that Christians were naive. They smiled all the time, whether they believed or not. They were all hypocrites. They were brainwashed. I I thought that a Christian's arm could be on fire, and they're just smiling. Oh, Jesus, this is great. This is awesome. None of those things are true. As you read the Bible, you find out that none of these things are true. And yet, Paul says he's glorying in tribulation, that he has comfort. Those misconceptions are wrong. Now, we, as we put on Christ, we go through this world through trials and tribulations. And I find it fascinating that we can look to things that are very difficult in the past and we look at them fondly. I'll give you one example. Many pounds ago, I used to be into boxing. There is nothing fun about the act of boxing. I mean, you're in the gym, you're in front of the heavy bag. You're taking jump rope, you're running, and when you practice, another person's in front of you trying to punch you in the face. And then the highlight, the, 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 the very pinnacle of it, you're in front of somebody who is trying to make you go to sleep, and it's pretty scary. But I, I look back on that difficulty, I look back on those trials fondly, like, yeah, you know, that was difficult. I was scared, I was hurt, I was pushing myself, I was in trials and difficulty, and I say, wow, that was, but that worked. It worked in me. It made me something different. It challenged me. It strengthened me. It built up a part of who I am. Well, the same thing is true 
and even more so in our walk with Christ. See, Paul says that he can glory in tribulations. He can have comfort in trials. Because of Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, it says not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We don't go for trials just for the fun of it. It's producing something in us. The whole point is connecting to the actions of verse 1. We're to cleanse ourselves. We connect it to Romans to make no provision for the flesh. And we see that when we have this perseverance, it's doing something. It builds character and hope. And so we need to remember these things and apply them because as we grow closer to the Lord, deeper with Him, we can then say what Paul says, I'm filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulations. He says that even though his body has no rest and he's troubled on every side, he says outside are conflicts and inside are fears. It's okay to fear. Nevertheless, God, it says, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Did you see that? God is using Titus in his life to comfort him. One of the other misconceptions is that we're to do this all alone, on our own. I want to be a Titus. And I remember back in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, Paul teaches us where he gets this comfort. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and God of all comfort. And then we see this in verse 4 who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Notice that this comfort that comes to, Titus, comes to Paul comes through Titus. Notice how God is using Titus, and then Paul is connected to the Lord. He puts on the Lord. And notice here in 2 Corinthians, when we talk about being able to what? In verse 4, let's flip back to that verse real quick. That we're comforted by God, and then we comfort others. Do you see that? It's another action that we do. We comfort others. And then we'll go back to my notes, because I can't do it without those. And it's not working anymore, again, for the 37th time. I think there's a demon in this tablet. That's a joke, y'all. So if you didn't get that one, then come see me afterwards. Our Christian walk is not to be alone. You know, we don't just go through these trials for ourselves. We go through it so then we can go through these trials with others. Another sport I used to play many pounds ago was soccer. And then we would be on the line at practice. <coughs> Excuse me. And we'd have to do this thing. They call them suicides. They, they are terrible. You run from the first line and back. And I say run, you sprint while someone's screaming at you. Then you run to the next line and back, and then the next line and back, and then all the way to the other side and back, and then the end and back, all the way to the other side of the field and back. And the only thing that makes it bearable is with your, you're with your buddies. You're with your team. Because there's nobody going out in the middle of the night and doing that. Because it's, it's dumb. <laughs> but it makes you in great shape. You endure it together. And you feel like throwing up. A few people actually do. You know, and it's tough. But then you look back on it and you're like, man, can't believe we did that. 
We did that together. Now, we need to be a Titus for one another. And, and we need to remember what it says in Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We need to have friends like that. Now, I got some, I got some bad news, some tough news to swallow. If, if you feel like you're alone and you don't have somebody close to you like that, it's your fault. Okay? It's most likely your fault. You're just, you're not going out. You're not serving other people. You're not sacrificing for other people. They ask you to move and you're, you're busy that day. I would be too. I don't blame you. You're not willing to die for yourself. Or you get a secret. Are you going to keep it? secret? Are you going to be able to be confided in? Are you going to be able to be trusted? You need to be able to be that for other people. And then you will have people that are close to you. But most people, they sit and they wait. They wait for someone to come to them and start serving them and sacrificing for them and being there for them. No, no, no. That's not how this works. Now, I I have some good news, though. If you feel like you're by yourself or, or maybe you're like me, you know, you don't like crowds, you don't like being around people. You know, I'm the kind of person, when I'm in a crowd of people, it drains me. I need to go be by myself to recharge. My brother, he was the opposite. He was energized by being in a crowd. He had to be around people. So there's different personalities. But here's the good news. In John chapter 15, Jesus tells us this. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, most people stop there, but in verse 14, Jesus said this, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Jesus is your closest friend and confidant. If you feel solitary, you feel like you're alone, you feel like you're friendless, you don't have somebody close to you, Jesus, through his work on the cross, can be, should be, and is our closest confidant and friend. Now, when I was a non-believer, many years ago now, I used to think that people that prayed, they were, they were just talking to an imaginary friend, somebody made up to make them feel good. And maybe the enemy's lying to you, you feel the same way, or maybe that's how you think. But how, how can you think that when kings, the kings of this earth, they pray to him and seek after him? Of course, not all, but many. The soldier in a foxhole praying out. Uh, I think of of POWs in solitary confinement. Many of them talking to the Lord, seeking Him out. Think about the martyrs that are crying out to Him. Even um, in the 16th century, 17th century, those that martyrs for the faith, they were burned at the stake because they had the Bible in their own language and they shared it with others. All they had to do was recant and know crying out to the Lord from the cross. No, when we suffer or when we're successful, when we succeed or when we lose, when we need to repent and cleanse or whether we're doing well, we need to do all things to the glory of God and we need to be a friend to the Lord. How's your relationship with the Lord today? What kind of friend are you? He calls you his friend. Yes, he's the Lord. Yes, he's the master, the king of kings, but he calls you a friend. Do you call him? Do you talk to him? Do you confide in Him? Do you share your emotions with Him? When you're successful, do you talk to Him? When you're suffering, do you talk to Him? Do you receive the Word? Do you pray? What kind of friend are you? And you just wonder why you feel like you're alone. A brother is made for adversity, you remember? For time of trouble. We need to have close confidants. Now, some of us, 
We do have people that we're close to, and praise God for it, but they should never be closer to you than the Lord Himself. And when we go through trials and we're comforted, we know that it's working in us, it's building character, it's doing things in us, it's changing us and making us better. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1, then we share it with others around us. All these things are working in us, but the action is on us. We need to do it. We can't just lay on the couch at home, Lord, just make me a better Christian. I guess it didn't work. I'll just go back to being myself. This is just how I am. This is just how things are. I'm just going to keep confessing. No, we are to do the work. Remember what John the Baptist said, works worthy of repentance. Even though the Pharisees and Sadducees did a bunch of stuff, they didn't have a relationship with God. They were doing it just so people could see them. Now let's read verses 8 through 12 together. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Verse 12, Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Now, Paul, he's a good friend. He's also a good pastor. Now, he wrote this letter, whether it's 1 Corinthians, which I think it was 1 Corinthians, or another letter that was between 1 and 2 Corinthians. We don't know for sure. And he was correcting, and he said he was harsh in that letter. And he said he regretted it. And he said he regretted it, but not because of what he said, though. He said he just, it just didn't make him happy to do it, but he was very grateful. He was happy that they received it, and they repented, and they changed. He deeply cares about them. And that's what it says in Proverbs 27 about a friend. It says, open rebuke, 27, 5, and 6. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. And then in verse 6, it says, faithful are the, wo- the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, true friends will tell you the truth. I was in a, a boxing match one time. It's just the gym war, so you think it's a world championship, but you're just in the gym. And I was fighting this guy, and I didn't know how to do it. He was a southpaw. means he's left-handed. And he is beating me silly. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do in that situation. All I know is I'm getting punched in the face repeatedly. Not fun. And... Finally, one of the guys in the gym comes up to me when I'm there in the corner, and he says, you need to step to the left. You can't see his punches coming. It's not natural to step to your left when you're right-handed. It's tough. But I'm getting tired of getting punched in the face, so I'm willing to try anything. So I start going to the left, and finally I can start to see the punches coming so I can start ducking them. I had what we call a face guard. That means you're taking all the punches with your face. You're guarding with your face. It's not good. (laughs) You know, Rocky movies, that's not real. 
But I finally received a word of instruction, of correction. And some of us, we're getting words of correction for the world or to live a better life, to make better decisions, to do better actions. You're like, no, this is just who I am. This is the way I'm going to be. I just, I'm right-handed. I go to the right. That's just how it's going to happen. Well, great. Because li- life has a way of continually punching you in the face for your mistakes. And sometimes it's a close friend that can say that to you. And sometimes, the majority of the time, it's the Lord The Lord is a faithful friend, and through His Word, He'll correct us, He'll give us instruction, and He'll say, hey, spiritually, you need to move to the left. Are you tired of getting punched in the face by life? You're going to suffer. Life is hard. It's hard for a believer and non-believer alike, but He will see us through. Hey, make no provision for the flesh. Cleanse yourself. Be out of the world. Be removed. Be separated to God. Put Him on. Actions, things that we need to do. But we also know that it's God doing it in us. This work of repentance, of changing, of doing, it's a process of sanctification, being closer to the Lord. Jesus talked about it all the time, about salvation and the importance of repentance. In Matthew 4, 17, he said, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now he's talking in context about salvation, turning to God. But we can apply it to our life. Just think of that word repenting as going to the left. Stop making the same mistake over and over and over again. Life is hard. There's bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. And wherever there's people, there's what? We say it all the time around here, people problems. And there's more people here than ever, so guess what? There's more problems. And yet Paul is a good friend, a pastor. He's willing to lay down his life because of the example of Christ in his life. And notice, notice how he is boasting in the Corinthians. He's happy with the Corinthians. Titus comes and brings this good report. Titus encourages Paul. Paul hears this, and he says these great things about the Corinthians. How can he do that? I boast in you guys and what God is doing here all the time. But some of you bite because you're people. You know, I get judged harshly, and a lot of times I deserve it because I'm not that sharp, and I'm definitely not that good of a person. Anything good in me comes from Christ. And sometimes you're mean, but it's the work of Christ in us and in you and in me that draws us together, that unifies us, that works in us, so that when we turn from the world, When we cleanse ourselves, when we separate from the world and we put on Christ, we're walking with Him and we're closer to Christ than a brother, than a sister. We're closer to the Lord than our deepest friend. Are you closer to the Lord than your spouse? Again, do you speak to Him? Do you talk with Him? Do you share your emotions with Him? Do you confide in Him? Do you receive from Him? Do you speak to Him through the Word? Are you receiving those instructions? And He'll use all kinds of people. Many times He'll use those people closest to you. The thing that annoys me the most is when the Lord uses my wife to correct me. Because she's right most of the time. She knows almost everything about me, more than any person on this planet. And the Lord will speak through her occasionally. Oh, you're just a prideful, arrogant jerk. Ah, yes, amen. But it doesn't mean I'm just going to stay that way because we need to be working and changing and have actions where the Lord is working in us and through us, not just for ourselves, 
but for the people around us so that we can be a Titus. I want to be a Titus. I want you guys to be a Titus in my life. Well, now in verses 13 through 16, it says, Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I'm not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And this and his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all. How with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Man. How is it that Paul is boasting in these people that are so mean to him? It's the work of the Lord. It's that relationship. It's because Paul is not driven by the feelings and the emotions of the Corinthians. He's driven by his love for Christ, and he's driven by his desire to see the Corinthians grow in Christ. It's over and above the feelings and the emotions and the popularity. He's not trying to win a popularity conflict, a contest. But there are many problems there. It is Christ that's unifying and working. And that's where he can boast in them. That's why he's excited in them. Yes, wherever there's relationships, wherever there's people, we're going to have difficulties. And anybody who's living life long enough knows that life will punch you in the face, does not care about you. And it is a difficult thing to walk as a Christian, and it is not easy. And those misconceptions, those things about thinking that everything's going to work out perfect as a Christian, all things will work together for the good, yes, for those that love Him. But that doesn't mean that good things are going to happen all the time. But when you go through those things, Jesus will stick closer to you than any other human being on this planet, closer than your closest confidant. And we should be refreshed and refilled by the Spirit of God and the work of God. Nowhere does it say this better, in my opinion, than in Acts chapter 3 when Peter is preaching that sermon on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to close with this verse. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. From where? Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. This morning, I pray that you're refreshed by the Holy Spirit, that you draw closer to the Lord than ever before, that you find these confidants, that we do our Christian walk together, and we're not alone, ostracized. And I pray that we would be a Titus for one another, refreshing and growing in the Lord together, doing this difficult thing called life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your encouragement here in 2 Corinthians 7. We pray, Lord, that you would be teaching us, directing us, using us, molding us, Lord, helping us to understand the deeper things of life, the trials and tribulations, and to have joy and comfort in them as we're refreshed by you. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you're not a believer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you. You can receive Christ up here. If you need prayer, we'll be ready to pray for you up here. God bless you and have a wonderful week.